Welcome to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast, where every two weeks we explore all the aspects of the weight loss surgery journey. We'll hear from a range of experts, including bariatric surgeons, psychologists, patients, and dietitians, sharing up-to-date, informative advice to help fast-track your long-term weight loss success. Welcome back to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast. I'm Jackie Lewis, Clinical Nutritionist for BN Multi. Today, hold on to your hats for a pretty exciting episode on the gut-brain axis. My guest today is Dr. Aaron Deer, who's almost fascinated me. He's a bariatric surgeon. He also teaches meditation and some yoga practice and also has huge interest in a more holistic view when it comes to health. He's affiliated with ACNEM, which is the Australian, we look at the kind of nutritional and environmental medicine. So it's looking at your environment, your nutrition and the outcomes on your health overall as a human. And he couples that in his bariatric practice quite beautifully. Has written some books, Happy Gut, Healthy Weight, as well as a new book that um, will be revealed throughout the episode as well. So please stay with me for the next 40 minutes while we talk about the gut brain access and its effect on your overall health and bariatric surgery. Welcome Dr. Aaron Deer. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you Jackie for the invitation. Always a delight speaking to you and delve into these subject matters which are of such common interest to not only just you and I but the audience that we serve. So thank you again for the opportunity. It's always very interesting to me also to talk with you, given your surgical background, but not only that, you bring in that whole kind of holistic, you know, big picture of health. And I think that's what I really enjoy about being able to combine the two. And I think we too easily separate those two. And, you know, we go down the surgical path and forget about all this other stuff that comes alongside it as far as, you know, even mindset and wellness and, you know, self-care and that sort of stuff. And I, yeah, I I'm fascinated by the way you bring that all together. I think it's something that's really um, key in our environment and isn't, you know, it's just not happening often enough. Yeah, no, thank you so much uh, for that, uh, Jackie. I was recently working in a regional hospital and I was asked to talk. And I think one of the things that really came out very interestingly was that the value of health is only recognized when it is lost. Mm. And I think we rely as a society on pills and procedures. But I think, uh, you know, that paradigm thinking shift is changing. It is changing because people uh, at one point in time used to consider going to a doctor, you need to have a prescription because that's the transactional relationship that you would have with a doctor that I went to see the doctor and I got this prescription for a medication. That is my value that I got from that interaction. Mm. But I think people are saying, I need to know more. Why am I sick and how can I do? What can I do? So it's a journey of self empowerment really Mm, absolutely and with all of that today i wanted to really focus on this gut brain axis that we refer to it's a bit of a mysterious one because it's not often spoken about or not i think not often explained Um, we refer to the gut a lot that's really quite prevalent everywhere we look at the moment as far as good health and immune system and all that sort of stuff goes but i think when we talk about the gut often the mental image we get of that is just our tummy so it's looking at what else is linked to the gut and its role overall in our, you know, the big picture of our health. Can you help us to explore this new term that we're introducing in these realms as well, the gut-brain axis? What actually is that and what does it do? Absolutely. Well, 
uh, I think in order to explain that, Jackie, I want to share something very important to build the background mm. behind it is that the role of gut in our overall health and well-being was something that was recognized centuries ago. All right, We know Hippocrates, the father of modern medicine, said that all disease begins in the gut. Now, if you reversed it around, if your gut is not healthy, you cannot expect true healing. Now, healing is different to a treatment. I often say treatment is that you've got a cough, you go to the doctor, you get some antibiotics and a cough syrup and that gets fixed. But what is causing you to get those repeated attacks of cough? And that's just an example. We are talking about chronic conditions like diabetes and fatty liver and all that. They can't be fixed just with a pill. So that is where the relevance is that we have to understand what is happening in the background. And that's where the role of the gut brain axis comes in, which is really important. So what has been found is that there is, see the gut has got the similar number of neurons which are the nerve cells to that that are there in your spinal cord, which is the whole bunch of neurons that are going all the way down your spine. So it's got the same number of neurons on its own. It, it is called the enteric nervous system. We have a brain which is called the central nervous system and the gut has its own nervous system, which is called the enteric nervous system. Now, that is almost being referred to as your second brain. We call that in different ways, the gut feelings, the intuitions and all that. And there is a connection between the gut brain with the actual brain. So these two, when they are connected, that is called the gut brain axis. Now, how are they connected? In anatomy, we have the definition of this nerve called the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is the 10th cranial nerve. And the reason why it's called the vagus is it's got a very vague meandering course. It supplies the muscles of swallowing. Uh, it supplies certain facial muscles muscles, then it goes down into the neck where it is giving branches called the recurrent laryngeal nerve. I'm just going into the anatomy only to make my point that mm. it also supplies the trachea and it also supplies the heart with the cardiac plexus. And then it goes down into the stomach where it stimulates the production of acid. And then it forms the celiac plexus where it gives branches to that. So such a varied course and a very long nerve. But here is the fascinating part. This is the fascinating part which has just been discovered about the vagus nerve. People used to think, and when I was in med school, this is how, uh, reflecting a bit of my age here, that uh, when, when I was in med school, they were thinking, the thinking was that all the signals would go from the brain, which is the central controller of things, and all the signals would be going down. Well, that's wrong. 80% of the signals in the vagus nerve are going in the below to upward direction. They're going in the reverse direction. Only 20% is coming from above down. Now that's fascinating. Why? Because the vagus nerve plays a significant role in the stress response and the relaxation response. It is a parasympathetic nerve which counters the sympathetic system. So there is this, uh, you know, automatic system. We call it autonomic nervous system, which is the, uh, you know, the autonomic, which is the balance between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic on both sides. Now, if you st uh, stimulate the sympathetic nervous system, that's your stress response, which means fight, flight, freeze. And that in that state, you can't, you can only think about survival. Whereas in the parasympathetic system, that is the relaxation, rest and relax. 
and that is what calms down the stress response. So the vagus nerve is significant now in studies that are coming up on the parasympathetic nervous system and also on the relaxation response on which Harvard Medical School has done a significant amount of work. So and once Harvard's on board, it must be true now. <laughs> and here is what I say to everybody that I meet, you know, don't wait for signs to give you the permission to do what you believe in. You have to do with your what your own intuition is telling you. I'm not saying go and jump off the cliff. I'm saying there is evidence, all right? And this is how I explain it when people come to see me for gut-related issues. I say to them, your gut, if you imagine like a whole circle, mm -hmm. all right, it has got four quadrants, all right? Gut has four key functions. And if we don't understand it, we are going to be missing the mark by a mile. The first function is that of digestion, assimilation, and excretion, which we all think that the gut is an organ of digestion and poop, okay? But that is just one quarter of its function. The other quarter is that of metabolism, optimizing the metabolism. Third function is that of the immune system. It is the seat of the immune system. And the fourth function is that it is the seat of your happy hormones. And I call it, it translates into your intuition. See those gut feelings when mm -hmm. we first fell in love and, you know, going for an interview for the first job, that gut feeling which was there, that had that can be tapped into as long as there is balance in the four quadrants. If your gut is not functioning well, you can never have a strong intuition. And I've seen this time and time again. And intuition is your degree of confidence with which you face the world. That's in, it's interesting how it's anatomical and then it becomes the way we present in the world. And to bring those four quadrants into balance. How often do you see someone walk into your office who's got four quadrants in balance? Well, I think the key thing is we are all working towards that balance. Even I'm working towards my balance. It's uh, even I slip sometimes, you know, I, I, I'm not in favor of having foods coming out of a packet. But when I'm on a holiday, all right, I give myself the permission that, okay, you know, you got to live life as well. Yeah. So I think it's not about judging where we are and where others are. It's really about saying, you know, even if you're making small progress towards that goal of becoming a better version of yourself, you are making the best use of the time that has been given to you. Because let's be honest, we all are on a limited time, you know, over here. Correct. And it's about making the best use of it. That's a good point. And I think I come up against this in our group is, you know, this is hard work. It's every day I have to plan my meals. It's every day. I have to focus on my food. It's every day I need to try and exercise. And some patients in the obesity audience feel that that is unfair and that they've got lots of work to do. And I like to point them out that it's actually work that everybody does. So it's healthy people do this work every single day. They take note of what they eat, they exercise, they, you know, pay attention to how much they sleep. But these concepts can be quite new after surgery when we're trying to rebalance and lose the weight and regain health. And yes, it does feel like daily work, but it is. It's work for anyone who's healthy or who's unhealthy in trying to regain health. So when I kind of highlight that, it's like, I think a lot of people who are overweight feel that it's okay for you, you're slim. You don't have to work very hard. But a lot of that 
you know, vibrant health and that, you know, ongoing feeling of vitality comes from that daily work. So I really like to highlight that, that it's don't feel on your own, that you have to have a look at what you're eating and, you know, calculate how much exercise you're doing and weigh everything up so that you're balancing at the end of the week, because that's what health and vitality sort of comes with is that constant checking in on mindset, sleep, food, exercise, all those different elements that make that big picture. So I do like to remind them that it's not just their, you know, job. It's everybody's job if you want to regain that sort of and wake up that healing force that you're talking about is taking away all those things that are getting in the way of healing. And essentially that's what it is, is the body has its own innate rebalancing mechanism. It's just that we've put all this other stuff on top of it, which has kind of thrown it out. Out. So taking those, you know, processed foods and excess stress and all that sort of thing isn't necessarily the thing that heals the body. It's that the body can then wake up and start the healing process on its own, which is what we're meant to do. Yeah. And I think, Jackie, I, I also say that, you know, once you have tasted that health, that vitality, and you know what is more important than health and vitality? This is what really drives me every day is, and they did a research research, by the way, on this, that, you know, what makes successful people success, uh, successful? What is the quality? If, if we distilled everything all right, and came up with just one quality, just one, we're not talking about 20 qualities of successful people and all of that. There's just one quality which every successful person has, and that is clarity of thought. Clear thinking, all right? And this is not me. I'm talking about this evidence-based research that was done. I think it was from Yale University. Mm. They did research and they said clarity of thinking is the number one topic or the number one quality that successful people had. Now, I tell you for the work that I do, you do, and all of that, if we haven't had a good night's sleep, okay, you you had, I don't drink, but if somebody has had too much to drink or they had too much greasy food, the first thing that gets affected is your clarity of thought. Yeah, exactly. And I say that, you know, what is the price you are going to pay for swapping your place with the person who is in the dialysis bed in the hospital? If he says, you know, I, 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 I want to swap places with you, I haven't done any of this work, no making smoothies, take checking my vitamins, going for exercise. Um, uh, I can, I want to swap places with you. Would you ever do that? I'd I'm never not sure do that. about that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like you have to work in a hospital. Like that's what I do. When I see that, I feel like, you know, this is what we have to compare with because we are not seeing what is the extreme end of it. Yes. Right. And you get if you that, don't take Rich. care of yourself, I read a beautiful quote somewhere. Mm. If you don't make time for exercise, you will have to make time for disease. Yes. Actually, I posted that in our group over the weekend. You must have, you know, yeah, but I, I'm talking uh, out of intuition now. Here. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it is. And it's exactly that. And it's, and yeah. that got a huge response because people are realizing that if you do lose your way with food and alcohol and lack of exercise and activity, it, that is how you pay the price in the, in the longer term. Exactly. So going back, I wanted to talk about, you know, how does it look when gut brain brain axis is out of whack what, mm. what kind of signs would a person see presenting in their daily life good so i think i want to 
again, what my goal is to bring evidence into practical strategies, yeah. right? Evidence which is hard for a common person to reach because it's in scientific journals and all of that. But I see my role as a medical practitioner to bring it into common light so that people can actually make some sense out of it and start changing the way they function on the day-to-day -day basis. Now, I refer to the study called as the Zurich study. The Zurich study was done on people who had got irritable bowel syndrome. Very common condition in our society, all right? And you go to a gastroenterologist or, you know, your GP or whoever that I've got IBS. Well, the moment that you utter the word IBS, they will make sure you've had an endoscopy. And after that, there's nothing much to do. Mm. There is no pill that can quickly fix your IBS symptoms. So in the Zurich study, what they found was 70% of patients had an associated mental health issue with IBS, depression, anxiety, um, uh, you know, insomnia, or, you know, some sort of a trauma in the past was associated in 70% of patients. You fix the depression, you fix the anxiety, the gut symptoms get better. Mm. That is the strength of the gut brain axis. Now, people might say, oh, no, 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 I'm challenging this because of that reason and this reason or whatever factor because let's be honest we humans are multi-dimensional multi-factorial beings it's not that we have you take mice that are in a laboratory and you don't feed them a particular vitamin and they will develop a particular deficiency all right it's hard to do that sort of randomized control trials in human beings because we are not animals in the lab we are not guinea pigs you know? and that is the challenge that comes because then people get different opinions i'm not saying my opinion is right but i'm saying refer to the zurich study it made it, it created a response in people in 70% of the study subjects, which is significant. Okay, now let's translate this to your question that how does it look when the gut brain axis is out of whack? Well, firstly, those four quadrants again. Okay, your gut digestion, your digestion is you get issues with bloating, you get issues with, you know, irritable bowel syndrome, dyspepsia, these conditions, constipation, diarrhea, cramps, all these sort of things may seem very benign. Gastroesophageal reflux disease, again, very benign. You just take over the counter medications, doctors will do endoscopy, and they'll say everything is right with you. But actually, it is not. All right. Then the second quadrant is your immune system suffering all right either there's more inflammation or there is autoimmune conditions more inflammation means recurrent attacks of food allergies food allergies is a big thing the other day i heard somebody had allergy to avocados now i had never heard of that so we are getting into an era where there is more and more allergies and all these things happening let's bring it to uh, the third thing, which is your metabolism, fatty liver, excess visceral fat, obesity issues, they are all a reflection of where the gut health has been compromised. And the intuition part, well, look, let's be honest. The fact of the matter is that this is my belief and there is evidence that is coming to support it that when individuals have got gut issues, they also get neurological issues. For example, ADHD in kids, yes. the excess intake of processed food. Now, I'm not a pediatrician and I haven't delved into those side of studies, but I know from research, even with Parkinson's, now Parkinson's starts in the gut. 
who would have known that? They have done colonoscopies and biopsies and they found the same bodies that are present in the brain in Parkinson's patients are there in the gut. Now, there it's is a incredible. lot of evidence. Yeah. There's when a lot of evidence to support how does, now you would say everything is related to the gut. Well, that's what I mentioned in my book, Happy mm. Gut, Healthy Way, that there are so many things that are dependent on your gut health. And it begins very, and we look at birth, even the way we are born sets us up from the very beginning as far as, you know, our microbiome is cesarean section or a vaginal delivery is the very beginning of establishing your immune system. So we're looking at when we see people, they're in their 40s eventually. And you look at when you go back and have a talk about their health history, how were you born? Were you breastfed? Um, what did you eat when you were a child? Or did you have any childhood illnesses? How many antibiotics did you take throughout mm. your childhood? Generally, when you look at that trajectory, you then look at the teenage kind of period and there's often the chronic fatigue or the glandular fever, that sort of stuff. And then by the time they've hit 40, the whole immune system and the inflammatory markers are just, you know, really pushing the body to that tipping point where that's mm. why they're presenting with chronic illness. The alarm bells are going off because things at that age are starting to really get to the point where they can't handle that kind of disruption anymore. And that's, it's, you can see it in the story from, from very much early on in, in life as well, which is pretty fascinating. Talking about, I guess, the impacts of gut-brain access. Mm. When we're looking at bariatric surgery, which is obviously yes. if you have a sleeve, we remove 70% of that surface area of the stomach. If you have a bypass, you have all sorts of interruptions to that system. What kind of impacts do you see on, you know, the gut-brain axis and the vagus nerve and what are the implications after surgery? Great. So I guess what I didn't touch upon, uh, Jackie, was that the one was the gut-brain axis has a connection with the actual anatomical nerve, which is the vagus nerve. But the other is through the hormones. So there, it's a neurohormonal connection, neurohormonal communication that is happening between the two. Hormones are chemicals. These are basically drugs that your body makes through its internal pharmacy and it is communicating between the two. So one of the key things that happens, say, in gastric sleeve, now mind you, in both these operations, we are not damaging the vagus nerve. The vagus mm. nerve is still intact. But what is happening is because of the sleeve where we take out a major part of the fundus of the stomach or in the gastric bypass where we are rerouting the way the body handles the food and its quick passage into the proximal small bowel, there is an interplay or a change in the way the hormones are signaling from the gut to the brain. And that is where I call it the magic of weight loss surgery begins to happen. Now, this but, yeah. magic is like a honeymoon. Like everything, honeymoons have to end, sadly. You know, <laughs> we don't want them to ever end, but they do have an ending, you know. And that is where after the 12-month or the 14-month or the 16-month period, people say and they get worried that I've reached a plateau. Now, there is nothing to get worried about it. That is expected. All right. But what is important is that is the time, the honeymoon period is the time when you have to start building your own strategies of the mindset and the body set and your routines and things like that. That is the time to build that because you are getting a huge boost. As I say that the surgery gets you to take off. Yes. Like in a flight, you know, when the surgery gets you to take off, but what is going to keep you keep there? Keep you in the air. Is, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's your autopilot. Flap those wings as hard as you can. <laughs> yeah. 
exactly and the yeah. autopilot is nothing else but your subconscious mind yes which is where all your programs live that yes. is what defines your personality now if you're still making poor choices and going to kfc's and mackers and all of that all the time well sorry you can't have that autopilot keeping you up there all the time you will have to come down eventually farting down yeah. sometimes well exactly <laughs> you know it's uh, you might have to eject and fall yes. <laughs> abort the mission on the way down yeah. so that's a that great analogy i think that that's point. brilliant yeah is and it's interesting i think in every episode i talk about the honeymoon i just recorded a session on regain with saraya nikwan and we were talking about the honeymoon and that's like it's almost like re-weight loss but it's the time where you really need to be oh. taking advantage of that metabolic change that the surgery offers because nothing is for free and nothing is forever. So it's um, getting you ready for that time where but you Jackie, want to be. Jackie, if I can just mention one more point. During that honeymoon phase, this is what I consistently get to hear from my patients is a first visit in, you know, a few weeks and then in three months visit, what I get to hear is that their taste perception has changed. Yeah. They're tasting even plain water tastes different. They have got, a, they don't like chocolate anymore. Some people say, oh, I don't like sweets i don't i mm. crave salads more and i say you know what you got to milk that feeling <laughs> become aware of it that your body is we didn't do anything to your tongue we didn't do anything to your nose but it is the gut brain connection which is creating its magic and Amazing. this is the time for you to develop the awareness of what your body is telling you because uh, yeah. let's be honest i see that many many of the patients that i have to that i kind of you know am able to serve they have lost a connection with their body mm, basically yeah and i say to them this body is an amazing gift that you have been given. It's an amazing piece of technology. We as doctors do not even understand one tenth of it. Let's be honest about it. You know, science is discovering it every All day. All the time. So make use of it and connect with it. If you don't Get connect with your thing. own body, you will be totally disconnected and disliking yourself. I say every change starts with self-respect mm. and self-love. If I love myself, I will not put rubbish in my mouth. I won't exactly. do that. And looking at that, I think the listening part is what do I need? What, you know, what are my, what are my goals? What do I need right now? What are the ideas that I'm putting out there? That kind of stuff. And how do I bring that into a regular kind of habit of setting up these new kind of lifestyle ways of being? What sort of role does diet play in that environment when you've made these metabolic changes with the surgery? What is the most important part about the way we feed ourselves and how would that impact, you know, that connection with gut-brain access and then, you know, helping us to make those unconscious choices that are good choices rather than living an unconscious life that is, you know, very reactive and just making easy choices, I suppose. Yeah. On that, I just say two things. See, my, my work is to simplify things for people. Because when it is too complicated, you know, I think it was Tony Robbins who said that complexity is the enemy of execution. <laughs> like, if you make it too complex, uh, you would just not do it. It's too hard. So here is what I say. Just two things as far as diet. Just two things. All right. Cut out dead foods from your diet. Now, what are dead foods? Dead foods are, say, if I took a packet of chips 
or I think they did a study on this uh, burger patty from McDonald's. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and yeah. they kept it for 159 days outside the refrigerator. Totally dead, that one. Okay. And it was perfectly fine. It was yeah. loaded with chemicals and plastic and all of that. Okay. So this is the thing. Dead foods are the foods that will not rot. They will not get spoiled if you kept them outside. Now, you are the best judge. All right. Chips, biscuits, all those sort of things that you get. They are dead foods. Yes. All right? They've got no nutritional value. So cut out the dead foods and introduce live foods. Live foods are the foods that are rich in enzymes. They are rich in vitamins. They are rich in healthy carbohydrates. And very important, they are rich in plant-based fiber. Mm -hmm. Now, plant-based fiber is what your gut bacteria, the healthy gut bacteria need. It is like a prebiotic. Prebiotic is a fertilizer for the good bacteria in your gut. Now, if you're not giving your good bacteria, you're just popping a pill of probiotics and you're not giving them fertilizer, which is sea salt, let's say for those of you who love gardening, uh, you know, they're not going to take up, period. And you're popping in the most expensive probiotic in the market in the hope that you are going to feel really good about it. Well, it doesn't happen that way it's just like gardening you know you can't expect to throw seeds of these beautiful plants on a garden full of weeds they just won't take up you have to first pull the weeds out so i just say two things remove dead foods go and look at your pantry right now how many dead foods are there now i'll be honest i do have a biscuit or two in my pantry i'll be i'll be the first one to confess it do i go and have it every day morning afternoon evening no i'll have one or two with a cup of tea i like it okay so i i want to come from a platform of practical wisdom okay it's not that look at me i'm the best and you know look at you because that doesn't help anyone we got to grow collectively so that's my message as far as food goes have more of majority of the time and i say to people follow the 80 20 rule 80 yeah. percent of the time you're having live foods 20 percent is i'm not saying you binge on those foods on dead foods but like okay you can enjoy life as well once you reach a certain level it's a balance then and i think once you get to that you're you're choosing those foods quite naturally and yes. your your wants and needs have changed that you actually my i get excited when the blueberries are in season and they're perfect i think that's you know it's, and that's it's my your, day Jackie, and that's your gut telling your brain go for that because yeah. you have optimized your gut all right you reach yeah. that level of optimization and i think you're right it can happen for anyone whereas in my teens i was well out of balance with food and looking back i don't know how i managed to be as active and you know i could keep going but i knew i was putting in all the wrong fuels and now if i even consider eating those kind of foods it's just i just don't go there i'm just not interested because I get so much more excitement out of exploring what's available that's, you know, natural and healthy and making new foods that, you know, different ideas and even from different cultures, we bring in a lot of, you know, Middle Eastern foods and those sorts of things which stem from all the flavours coming from a range of herbs and spices rather than preservatives and additives and flavours and that sort of thing. And I, I think that's where we change in our choices is um, we want more of those um, nutrients that are providing you know a better overall it makes you perform better and I think once you get a grasp of how much better you can feel and function when you talk about clarity of mind is 
that drives me to make choices that will help me to function every day. And I think that is the basis of a lot of the choices I make around food and exercise and that sort of stuff. It's you get to know what your best is. And I think you get to the point where you don't accept second best is that you're working towards that. I want 100% out of myself every day. So I need to put in 110% to get that out. And it's, it's multifaceted, but it's certainly, it's a process that unfolds when you're, you know, even when you start the bariatric journey, it's, you know, why you're there and you know what you want. It's just keeping that goal in mind as well. I'm aware of your time and I want to just, you have anything else you'd like to say, well, we will do a follow-up podcast. This is a series of two where we've kind of done the introduction to gut brain connection and what that means for a person and how we kind of nut that out. Our next mission is to talk about all of that in relation to sort of immunity and vitality and that sort of stuff. So please stay tuned for the next episode. Aaron, do you have anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up? I think yeah. before I wrap up, there's just one thing that I'd like to share with your audience. And that is how can they tap into the power of this gut brain access? What can they do today after listening to this podcast that, uh, you know, okay, this is what I'm going to start doing. So please understand that there are certain physical things that can stimulate the vagus nerve. Now we are talking about stimulating the vagus nerve. And for those of you who are listening and who may be interested, I've done a separate YouTube video, which is on my YouTube channel, which is called how to activate your vagus nerve, the power of vagus nerve. So it is specifically on that. And I'm a, for those of you who may not know, I'm a yoga and a meditation teacher and yoga, which is a mind body exercise and specifically the sun salutation in that actually activates the vagus nerve. Now, you might say, uh, it's very hard. I can't do yoga and this and that. That's okay. There is another thing which can stimulate uh, your vagus nerve, and that is breathing. Deep diaphragmatic breathing in and out can actually stimulate. All you need to do is sit in a chair in the morning, make a routine for yourself, which allows you to deep breathe in and out, exhale. And and that's why they say to people who may be experiencing anxiety, just relax and deep breathe. Well, there is the vagus nerve that is getting stimulated. And the third thing is cold shower. Now, this may not be very uh, sort of, you know, exciting for people who are in the winters, but hey, we're in summers at the moment. So certainly a cold shower can be good for some people. And there's still, I know there are many who still want to take a warm shower, even in summers, but that's besides the point. The thing is a cold shower. And I do that even in winters, I used to do that because the time that it takes for the shower to turn from cold to warm, I just get in straight away. You know, that would be my boost of metabolism and trigger of the vagus nerve where we get into a cold shower, it triggers this vagus nerve and triggers the relaxation response. It's invigorating and it's invigorating. So it's that you can feel that it's activating something. Vagus nerve, I just wanted to also point out, we have a lot of patients who have trouble with tablets. I mean, they can eat food. It's a whole big mouthful of food, but they Mm. draw the line at being able to swallow a capsule. And that's often when I am aware that perhaps vagus nerve is overcompensating or overactive. Mm. And that's the time when I encourage that deep breathing or gargling Mm. or loud singing. And that will also do the same thing. So if it's, you know, the gag reflex is overactive, 
um, if you're gagging on things or you're finding that you're resistant to swallowing a tablet when you can eat, you know, large volume of food at one point, it's something's going on there. So they're the times when I look at vagus nerve activation. I'll put the link to that video of yours in the show notes for this episode as well so people can refer to it. I'm aware of your time, so we will wrap up, but please hang in for the next episode with Dr. Aaron Deer. We'll explore immunity, gut health, and um, all sorts of different ways of, you know, optimizing that and um, refinding your young and vital self once more. Thank, Thank you very you, much. It's always yeah. a delight speaking to you. Likewise. And I'm uh, very look happy forward to, to chatting you. again for the second episode. Thanks very much, Aaron. Take care. All right. Cheers. Thanks for listening. And just before you go, we would love to hear your feedback. So please give us a rating and review. For other interesting topics of conversation and inspiration, come and drop into our Facebook community at BN Bariatric. If you've enjoyed our podcast, we hope you will share on your Facebook or Instagram and hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.